the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into hour three uh, this uh, June 6th. It's, it's a date that I think is, is becoming more well-known, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, we are delighted to have in studio uh, our dear friend Hugh Hallman, former mayor of Tempe, attorney, uh, civic, um, civic activist in town, educator. Hugh, welcome back. It's good to have you. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, June, June 6th, D-Day, um, thoughts about and imagery of what we see. We see those men um, doing what can only one can only think of what was going through their minds. We get some of that from the letters. But what we've been mostly focused on has been the talk of the political and military leadership and their perspective of it all. And we lament that we don't have men, maybe, or I lament, I won't speak for you. I think you and I have a slight disagreement on this. We don't have. I lament that we don't have men like we that had in those days. I also lament that I don't know if we had the military or political leadership like we had in those days. But I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you uh, countermand my thoughts there. Contradict me if. I, I, I won't contradict you at all because uh, I'll, as I often do, tell your listeners to if they didn't listen to the first hour, listen to the podcast with the monologue, which touches on the arc of the themes. That here we sit at D-Day, and I want to touch on what D-Day means in a moment. Um, uh, the invasion of France through the Normandy region. And in contrast, we have the recruiting efforts through our military using TikTok and um, uh, drag, so artists. Drag, drag, drag artists, artists yeah. drag, performers, yeah. drag performers to try to attract young people into our military services. And that seems to just be a, a, a complete contradiction and crushing uh, collision in a culture. And I believe that is the case, that decades ago, this is where you and I may be departed, decades ago, I worked for President Reagan, and I would honestly say it this way, tolerated the cultural pieces because as an economist, and you know me to be more libertarian than many Republicans like, that I prefer to push that kind of stuff into the private market, that is to say, in the social systems where we work that out, and keep government out of it. And it always made me nervous that Republicans in a second turn, after the 50s we had this turn, in the, in the 80s now, we have Ronald Reagan pushing for the cultural wars. Now, he was not much of a warrior there. And I will tell you, as somebody who studied him closely, worked with him, uh, campaigns at least, I didn't, I didn't sit at President Reagan's uh, right hand or anything, um, the, the, the culture wars we were engaged in then I thought were dangerous to us because the moment we as Republicans, as conservatives, use government power and authority to push on a social issue, we have them stamped the imprimatur of the use of government power for social issues and we could lose them. And I believe I was correct. Here we are nearly 40 years later, in fact, almost exactly 40 years later, 
And we now have the left having used government power and authority successfully to change our culture. Republicans at the time in the 80s or late 70s and 80s were hearkening back to a culture they thought would continue to carry us and honor our founding and continue to be valuable to cause this country to be more successful. The left, who dislike, in my view, many of them on the hard left, not everybody, dislike the entire notion of this society and that power is disseminated amongst uh, the electorate, want to pull power to themselves and make decisions. We saw that during COVID. We can come back to that, too. That they have now used that government power to try to effectively change our culture and are having significant success because it is, after all, the military that is using TikTok and transgender speakers to try to recruit the young people. You make that point powerfully in your monologue. But I would add that the very fact that leaders in our military believe they need to use those systems and those channels to reach our young people tells us how bad it really is. That in their efforts to reach young people to recruit them into the military, they're now having to use these channels because that's where the kids are. And that's the real condemnation of our society culturally currently. We have taught teachers in the 60s and 70s to start to believe this stuff, who became teachers and professors, who taught the new round of teachers and professors to believe this stuff, who are now teaching the grandchildren of those first round of people. And we have seen our culture degrade to the point that we now are losing sight of the bases on which the society rests the foundational principles on which this society rests and that's what's the most dangerous to us so when you think about the fact that we had young men and a few women at the forefront going into harm's way on this day d-day we call it d-day what does the d stand for in d-day well it stands for day actually the the military concept was it is d minus d plus four d minus four that you knew the date on which the action was going to take. So this D-Day is not the only D-Day in the World War II history. There were many D-Days, other amphibious landings, other days that were going to be the moment of attack, H-Hour and D-Day. But we had people prepared to go ashore. They had to wait 24 hours because it was bad weather, had a very narrow window. And we had the commander of the Allied forces saying, and I quote, soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the Great Crusade. That's a capital G, capital C, by the way, upon the Great Crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers in arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine. Notice the care in that statement. The German war machine, not the German people, but the German war machine. The elimination of the Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. And he continues. He finishes by saying, good luck. And let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking, unquote. Dwight D. Eisenhower. That kind of moving statement on the eve of potential death, the official tally, 
mostly the rounding is, oh, it's 2,500. Well, that's the U.S. forces. It was 2,501 U.S. For, uh, uh, personnel were killed on that day. With 1,449 Brits, 391 Canadians, when the Canadians used to stand with us, and 73 from other countries, allied countries. And yet Eisenhower was not sure this would succeed. This was a risky undertaking. When people took personal responsibility for these kinds of grave decisions to send men and ultimately some women into this battle to their deaths, he also wrote a statement in the event it did not succeed. And I'm going to read that because it ultimately is moving as well. Quote, our landings in the Cherbourg Havre area have failed to gain a satisfactory foothold, and I have withdrawn our troops. My decision to attack at this time and place was based upon the best information available. The troops, the Air Force, and the Army did all that bravery and devotion to duty could do. If any blame or fault attends to this attempt, it is mine alone, unquote. July 5th. Now, I added the word Air Force because, of course, we it weren't the quite, Army Air Corps. It was, that's correct. Right. And I, I shouldn't have added the word force, but his actual writing is just the, uh, the troops, the air, yeah. and the Navy did. I love it. Yeah. Um, and so that's a statement from somebody taking complete and utter responsibility for this in exactly the same way that Winston Churchill took complete responsibility for the failure of the Dardanelles invasion in World War I, destroying his career for 25 years or so. We have to remember, I think, and keep hope. This is my answer to you when you say, why bother? Nobody seems to care anymore. Yeah, we do this. And I would respond by saying they do care. When you watch what's going on in California with the Dodgers and Diversity Day and the uh, Sisters of Perpetual Crazy, whatever it is, (laughs) you have to recognize that most of the people in those bleachers there for a Dodgers baseball game are not of the kind of people who participate in that sort of insanity. This this change of culture. They stand there for the national anthem. They sing God Bless America with the kind of fervor that one sees at sporting events that are meant to bring out the best in us. And that's what gives me hope. And when we come back, perhaps I can touch on that a little more with you and not just talking at you. Well done. Yes. Uh, Having me rethink some of this, um, but I want to rethink it out loud with you when we come back. Hugh Hallman is my guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Hugh Hallman is my guest, uh, educator, teacher, former mayor of Tempe, attorney. Uh, such an interesting um, analysis you just gave it with a great history lesson, too, Hugh. Let me work it backwards with you out loud. Think out loud with you as we work it backwards. When you think about the Sisters of Perpetual Crazy and the Dodgers, as you put it, uh, or, I don't know, maybe 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 there's a there's a part of the target base and the bud light base too that you would kind of consider as part of that that same group they they don't they don't they they're just normal people that haven't elevated abnormal into normalcy yet 
Um, they and still, I, I want to be clear. The, the uh, revolt of the normies, maybe. And I, don't, and I don't want to speak for you either okay. because we have some subtle differences in how we approach these issues. That is not to say that somebody who feels obliged to be change their gender is necessarily crazy. What I am saying is that what that organization did right. no, was belittle the Catholic faith right. and anybody who believes differently in the name of people claiming to try to encourage us to be uh, accepting. Right. To use such disgusting, despicable approaches to pretend that you're honoring diversity when your entire approach is to belittle people who disagree with you. It's a mocking of all faith and religion and seriousness. It's it's a mocking of of the human condition. Sorry, I cut you. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. What I was trying to work out in my head and think through as you were talking was this interesting phenomenon we find ourselves in. You know, cultures change usually— usually from the bottom up, not the top down. And perhaps that's an argument on your side as to why these things are probably going to end up being a failure. I mean, I hope they end up being a failure. I think it, I, I think the last chapter hasn't been written yet, maybe not even the second to the last chapter. But they, they look like they're taking some hits. And, and maybe it's because there has been this culture— foisted on the rest of us from the top, from the elites, that we aren't, we aren't there yet. And that's not how cultural change usually takes place. But what makes it so darn interesting to think about with you is that military aspect. Because what you put your finger on is, is quite right, I think, when you said that it's not necessarily that they agree with turning the Navy or any of the armed forces into an in, into a, into an army of of transgendered people, it's that this is the only way they seem to be able to recruit, or one of the main ways they seem to be able to recruit, because um, they have actually a, a recruit. They have a recruitment problem, and this is this is the avant garde, or perhaps even different thing to do. You know, when we were growing up. To join, you know, if you went to high school or or college in those days, if someone said they were going to join the military, that was that was kind of a rare thing. I mean, we we saw it, but it wasn't the most common of things in our in our classes and in our age groups. It was it was it was something that was rare and it was esteemed, and it's even more rare now. It's far more rare now. So there's a recruitment problem, and so what they're trying to do is trying to appeal to that person who would stand out, that would think different, that would act differently. But the, but the second part of that, the other side of that coin is what's so interesting, as you put it, is, but we made these people this way too. We made these, we made these kids think that, that this is normal, that this is common, that this is um, ubiquitous even. We have done, in other words, a two-step here. First was, uh, to borrow from C.S. Lewis, was to remove the organ. But now having removed the organ, we are now bidding the flock be fruitful. And this is the only way we can do it. We have created this, shall we say for lack of a better term, sexual counterculture. And now having created such an, such a, such a massive part of it in our in our youth youthful population we now have to appease it or use it to attract them for the kinds of things we now find we have need for such as in the military first we created the problem and now we are creating the solution to the problem we've created yes we have taught our children for now 50 years yeah. that uh 
that this diversity issue is now most important and people under 20 are sensitive to these issues. So the recruiting process toward people of the right age group is to catch them where they are spending their time and focus. And what we have taught them is that believing these things is part of what makes you part of the in herd now. And this is back to your uh, earlier discussion in the second hour that we have a brilliant editorial piece by Brett Stevens that talks about the fact that there are lots of people who claim to be independent thinkers and so few of them actually are. Well, you now have the in herd and that in herd of, of sheep are people who now have as the touchstone that diversity issues are most important. Well, that's where they're going to be found then. That isn't to say that, as you note, that we're going to have a, a military full of transgender people. We are going to have a military with people who accept that. That's fine by me in the sense of having that acceptance. What I worry about is the loss of all the other lessons that should have been in those children's brains that have been replaced with these other things. There's only so many hours in the day. Kind of a you had one job kind of thing. You have. And yeah, and yeah. a couple of decades ago, we right. recognized the fact that we were failing in math and science right. and reading. The three R's, read and write and arithmetic. And we went back to teach those basics. Well, now we're not too much worried about those basics, and it's we're losing it. We have entire generation of people who cannot write in longhand. Right. They have no ability to form the letters with a pencil or a pen to write a sentence. Cursive is dead. Cursive is dead, and, and people printing. don't know how to read it. Yeah. And so the only way somebody knows how to print is what they've seen on their computer screen, and that's all they can do. I don't know if they can read an analog clock or watch, frankly. All of those things right. are true. And so... Maybe that doesn't matter yet today, but the mounting of debt, I think, uh, in, in, in the American population is a symptom of that failure to understand even simple mathematics, second grade mathematics, to know how to balance a checkbook and what that means to do so. And all of that has been replaced with other more important lessons that the left thought more important to teach. I believe strongly that we ought to honor all human beings and treat them well and as human beings. As I would not be a slave, I would not be a master. That means that I respect every human being as an individual. That's an important philosophy for me. But it also means that I have the reasoning capacities to work through problems and have a critically thinking mind that allows me to address problems and create solutions for those problems. We have plenty of problems to solve. And I don't see that we're educating our current kids to become future leaders and instead we are now creating a bunch of permanent children let me let me let me respond to that uh, uh when we come back to that 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 raises another interesting thing about our schools and the importance with which we are engendering an appreciation for what it is we are teaching in the country that it is we are teaching them i, I have an interesting piece of historical um, uh, an interesting history uh, st- a story about history you'll like about this when we come right back. Sorry, flubbed it, but we'll we'll be right back and it'll be interesting. Yeah, I promise still, you. I'm still here and you're still. Yeah, yeah, as long as you're still here <laughs> and you're still here, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Um, on this issue you're raising, Hugh, about um, 
you know, meeting the needs of the time and, and finding ourselves in the crisis we are with our youth because of having marginalized the, the, the important stuff. I mean, this is a long tale about a lot of government and constitutional government at that. When, when, the, federal, when the federal government grows beyond, so far beyond the four corners of the Constitution that our founders engendered and they get involved in so many different things, um, it, it helps explain why they can't do the basics right anymore. You know, we're focused on, you know, things that this government was really never set up to be focused on. So you wonder when a crisis happens, why we can't actually meet the crisis, why we can't actually protect our borders. That would be, you know, a first object lesson, a, a first object of, of government. But <clears throat> let me take you back. What you had me thinking about with the education system was um, in 1957 after Sputnik, uh, Meet the Press uh, guest was Hyman Rickover, the father of the nuclear submarine. And he railed about how important it was now to re-up the teaching of what we now would call STEM, but how, how we needed to re-inject the teaching of science and math in our schools, what a critical necessity it was, and that Sputnik proved that we had to do it. And the country rose to that occasion, and the education systems in America rose to that occasion. Uh, your daddy would probably have good stories on this, and as it turns out, I believe the high watermark of the SAT uh, scores uh, were 1963 or 1964, just, just a few years after we got serious about that. Um, and what it had me thinking was we only rose to that occasion not simply because we knew we had a math and science learning deficit yeah, or disability here in this country or need to learn math and science, relearn it well again. It only mattered because the point of doing it was we were be being beaten by the Ruskies. Correct. And that was what the We had a patriotic was sense of the duty to do it. And that was critical to meeting that time and moment. A basketball-sized satellite going around the Earth going beep, beep, was a sufficient threat to the United States military and ethos that uh, it, it, truly an existential moment when the Russians had beat us to space. And ultimately, Kennedy launched those programs, and they were referred to as beat the Russian mm -hmm. math and science programs. Yep. And in fact, my father attended oh, neat. university programs during the 60s uh, in Illinois in particular to teach people On like that you very point. for that very – that was a, an entire generation of math and science teachers in the late 50s through the late 60s were pushed through additional graduate training and programs to better teach math and science to young people. For the purpose of defending America. Correct. And for the purpose of generating what we ultimately generated. And the, the benefits that have paid off in the 70s and 80s from our economy expanding due to that result are palpable. And we've done now just the opposite. Yes, right. That's my point. Right. And, we have and, now and we taught to right, this. Right. We decided none of that mattered. And what matters is that every child must be taught about gender diversity and 1619 Project concepts and ignore the founding principles of this country and the basics of what it means to be human and what it means to care. So rather than create an environment in which we do have children learn respect for everyone, We've created an environment specifically tailored to tell them, like the Sisters of Perpetual Crazy, crazy that we get to excoriate people 
who disagree with this. And as the editorial you mentioned by Brett Stevens points out, to turn their backs on people with whom they disagree or walk out in protest against anyone who might utter something that would otherwise shatter their fragile environment. Right. Their space, right. their safe space shakes sure. in that environment, and the response is to walk out and criticize and, and uh, shout down rather than listen and process and reason to determine what is right and what is wrong. Sure. And if there were an incident, even though there have been many, there hasn't been one like Sputnik just yet or Sputnik just yet, where the Chinese were beating us, my question is, would we be able to rally to meet it based on the fact that we have to rearm ourselves with the knowledge of serious things again and quit fooling around because we're being beaten by China? And I think the answer to that is no. I think the response would be, so what? And that's the difference, I think, between the country we were and the country we are. Maybe you can speak to that when we come back. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Uh, what is that song, David? It's one I'm not familiar with. Yeah. It says Eric Meyer's Whiskey Rebellion. Oh, yeah. He's an old friend of... Uh Jim's, uh, our general managers and oh. uh, musician in town. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hugh Hallman is my guest. Uh, Hugh Hallman. So the point I was making is we could rally the country at the level of education and culture uh, over a defense of America, an intellectual as well as physical defense of America after Sputnik. And I'm uh, my thesis is I think that that challenge would be much greater today based on, as you have put it, uh, probably a generation and a half now, a generation and a half of of actually um, not only running America down, but adopting the very kinds of things that Mao Zedong did in the Cultural Revolution. I mean, when you look at the Cultural Revolution, the change of nature, the diminishment of women, the end of femininity, um, the old traditions, the old culture, getting rid of the four olds, the revisionism, the history, we are fast not being invaded by China militarily, but adopting and accepting uh, Marxist Maoism uh, intellectually here. And uh, that has been my concern as to why we are not the country we once were. Now, to your point, and I'll let you make it again or, or, or respond however you would like, to your point that, you know, it's just a shift. It's not just a, it's a shift of, um, of, of, of manner, really, really, really than of matter in that we will be able to do it when the time comes because this country has a history of having the healthy antibodies kick in just when they're most needed. And you've done some historical examples on that, your Churchill example, your Lincoln example. Yeah, so, well, uh, I didn't, I, I didn't just quite not, pull out the, the full Churchill example, yeah. but but the reality is that Churchill was uh, pushed out of politics for a long period of time and brought back in at the moment that the appeasement of the Germans was deemed to be uh, a failure mm -hmm. because the Germans rolled into other countries pretty quickly. And suddenly the Brits realized they had to do something and were attacked directly. And the leadership in Great Britain wasn't up to the challenge, and that's when someone like Winston Churchill could step forward and be pulled in. But I remind folks, he was then thereafter fired by yeah. the British people right. uh, once he had effectively put Great Britain on the trajectory to win the war with U U.S. help. And so we, we call upon those kinds of leaders when they are needed. 
I can't honestly sit here, Seth, and and assert that you are wrong, that the next challenge we would not rise to. But I have some hope in our lifetime we've seen those instances in which we have risen to those challenges. And September 11, 2001 is perhaps the best example of that in our later lifetimes, uh, that that the country pulled together. Now, it didn't last very long when the left decided that uh, they wanted, they, they couldn't. Unionize. <laughs> they had to unionize DHS or we weren't yeah, going to have it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We started playing political games pretty quickly. But I think it's in large part because it was clear fairly quickly that there was no real threat, immediate threat to the United States, that we were not going to ultimately be attacked from abroad, that this was an instance in which terrorists had killed thousands of people, yes, but we didn't lose an American city. We did not have the kind of destruction that is now being wrought on uh, Ukraine. And this maybe pulls us full circle. I am puzzled how some on the right have adopted the idea that we shouldn't be in Ukraine. Maybe there is good reason for that. But I was raised in an era in which I understood that it first was viewed as the Soviet Union. But if one understands history, one recognizes the entire motive power behind the Soviet Union's existence were the Russians. And Lenin and Stalin, yes, Stalin was a Georgian, I get that. But the, at the end of the day, it was Mother Russia that controlled the other countries in a way that forced them to, many of them, into slave labor, murdering millions of people who would not agree. That was their solution to that problem. And that that uh, continued through most of our adult life. It was Ronald Reagan pushing uh, on our defense systems to say, we will spend the money necessary that will not only protect this nation, but will cause the Soviet Union either to reform or to collapse. And ultimately it collapsed. Having gotten that job done, we then ended up with a peacetime success that Bill Clinton arguably squandered. We reduced our demand on use of resources at a federal level such that we got close to a balanced budget for a while. And then we, we screwed up the end game. We let them reformulate in a way that we had Vladimir Putin rise to power in Russia. I watched it happen because I had programs in Russia, Ukraine, and Kazakhstan. And Russia was the first to go because Putin was not going to allow liberal thought to occur there. And those programs were decimated. Well, now the programs in Ukraine, literally one of them was blown up in the first month of the war. To me, a people, the Ukrainians, fighting for liberty are standing in our shadow in some ways, having created these systems. And they are now our representatives defending liberty and freedom for everyone. And that we ought to be pulled together to support that. It comes at a terrible price, but not nearly the kind of price that we would pay if wrongly our military leaders had been correct that Vladimir Putin was going to succeed in rolling through Ukraine in four days. Just as they were wrongly predicting that Afghanistan would survive for a long period of time. Right. They were wrong on both fronts. Off the Taliban. Right. And that we have rallied to the extent we rallied to support Ukrainians in their defense of liberty and the individual, I think, is remarkable. And I'm grateful for it. Not because I really want to see American treasure blown up in Ukraine, 
but because it tells me that there are people who still value liberty and the opportunity for others at the price we currently are paying at least. And we have sacrificed men and women in Afghanistan not all that long ago. The pullout by Joe Biden, we had almost 10,000 people on the ground in Afghanistan in military uniform and in private contracting uniforms to help keep Afghanistan stable. That, to me, is an example of American heroism that shines as an example for the rest of the world. And we still have those modern examples. So I am hopeful that we have trained young men and women through our military services and other places, many of whom are attending baseball games in Los Angeles in Dodgers Stadium, while the Sisters of Perpetual Crazy, crazy are belittling faith. Um, there's so much in that. And I... Um I'll address a little bit of it uh, more tomorrow when we have a little bit more time. But I think, uh, or or with your next visit here, Hugh, but I think some of it is partisan. I think if a Republican were president, you would have a very anti-war left, as you did uh, in Iraq and as you did with Afghanistan. I don't think there were ever in the history of the world larger protests than on behalf of Saddam Hussein uh, because of a Republican president. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with it's hard to defend another people and another people's country when the view of the defense moral as much as physical of your own country is at such discount. And I think we suffer that. And it raises the whole question that we've gone over with Taiwan as well. But we'll pursue it a bunch next week when you're back. We'll be right back. Bank failures, stock market volatility, possible recession, long-term inflation. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? Why Refi has that investment, a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure and collateralized portfolio offered up by Y-Refi. They are based here locally, and they, as well as I, encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been. And you won't get a sales pitch. You won't be asked to sign anything. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. Hugh, I'm so grateful to everything you've put on the table and a lot to think about. And I can't repeat, just given the time constraints, some of your um, insights in the last segment or what I said. But there's one other element of something you said I wanted to address which was the Reagan concept of how how we would bring down the Soviet Union and how the Soviet Union would come down. Uh, it would either come down through reform or collapse, and it ultimately became a collapse. And one of the lessons I think we need to draw from it in 
inverse proportion to ourselves, is that that collapse came ultimately because enough people there and in its satellites stopped believing in that system. Uh, again, also a, a, a piece of Reagan work, a piece of Thatcher work, a piece of Pope work, a piece of Walesov work, a piece of Radio Liberty and Radio Europe and, and that whole conjury of stuff to get our message to them. But at the end of the day, you still have to understand it's because they stopped believing in their system. And I, will, and I worry about that for us here. I'll give you the last and, word. And I will add this. That is correct. But what is it in those human beings who had been saddled for 80 or 90 years with this crazy philosophy slapped over the top? Most put up with it because most people want to live their private lives, have their families, and and have noodle salad in a picnic, right? And the <laughs> reality times, is, the that. reality is, embedded in every human being is this nature to be free, this desire to exercise their own liberty. And even those on the left feel that they want to control other people's choices while at the same time exercising full-throated right to speak their minds in the way they choose to do so. And it is that hope that I cling to because the example given by the left in their own behavior speaks to the fact that we as human beings have been endowed with certain inalienable rights that come from our natural law sense of self. And I rely on that in every human being. And whenever I'm faced with somebody from the crazy left who wants to deny it in others, I ask them about their own opinions. And suddenly they become very, very alive. <laughs> we'll um, pursue this in a big way next week when you come back. Thanks for being here. Folks, thank you all. David, thank you. And uh, until tomorrow, God bless you all and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.